Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What is up? What is up, sports fans? My name is Jake Izuski. You can call me Jake Iggy or Iggy for short. And this is Iggy Sports Talk. Wow. That, I got to be honest with you, it's very weird to be saying those words. And especially being back here at the radio show of Plymouth State University. For those of you who are first listeners to Iggy Sports Talk, I do a podcast usually at my house or in my basement. But when I'm up at college, I do a radio show, which I make into a podcast. And I talk about the same stuff that I usually do on my regular podcast. But I have a lot of my friends come in as guests. I invite special guests that are sports reporters, you know, also former professional sports players as well, to really give some good insight on the different topics that I am talking about. I have a lot of big plans for some really exciting people to come on. And it's been really fun to be able to think about the different ideas and the different things that I would be able to do with this radio show slash podcast. And I'm going to be introducing a function later on this year where I'm going to put a phone number up and anybody around the country, around the world, can call in and bring up a topic that they want me or my counterpart to talk about, and we're really going to break it down. And I really want this to be a very interactive radio show where sports fans are able to explain their opinions on these different pressing topics and really be able to use their voice and their passion about these different topics to really bring up different interesting points that maybe I haven't thought of or my counterparts haven't thought of either. So it's been fun really watching all these different sports, especially since it seems like every single American sport that is popular is on right now. We got NBA, we got NHL, we got NFL and the MLB. I don't think that this has ever happened in the history of sports, to, to my knowledge, uh, where all sports are playing at once. So it's, it's definitely a fun time to be able to be re- reporting on each of these sports. And, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of weird even saying that baseball is almost done, even though it just started back in July. But there's only two more weeks left in the MLB season. A lot of teams are beginning to clinch divisions you know, clinch playoff, playoff bursts. And it's really fun now that football is in the mix as well. Because in my opinion, this is the first year, at least that I've been watching. I've been watching football ever since 2006, 2007, around there. I was born in 99, always a Patriots fan, if, if listeners did not know that. So I've been very privileged while growing up with a lot of success with my sports teams. But Going back to my main point of I don't think in the NFL there has ever been this much competitiveness, in my opinion. It always seems like there's one team that is far behind everybody else. There's one team that you know doesn't have that quarterback or that you look at at the start of the season and you're like, yep, they're going to have the number one pick in the draft. They're the worst team in the league. And that just isn't. That that just isn't the reality right now in the NFL, in my opinion. And when you just really look at even a team like the Jacksonville Jaguars, I mean, they got Gardner Minshew, but they still won their first game this past week. And everybody's saying, you know, they're going to have the first pick in the draft. You know, 
that they're going to get Trevor Lawrence. But, I mean, you got to beg to question, with how good Gardner Minshew looked this past week, do you think that the Jaguars are going to go for Trevor Lawrence? I understand. I understand. Trevor Lawrence could be the next Tom Brady, the next Peyton Manning, the next Joe Montana. But that's just what we've seen in college. I mean, obviously, he's the, he's one of the best prospects we've seen since a guy like Andrew Luck when people are like, oh, my God, he is the next Peyton Manning. But for a team like the Jaguars, you got to see what is happening with Gardner Minshew before you really make that definitive sort of opinion or take that they are 100% taking Trevor Lawrence. But one team that I want to start off with to really overlook the whole first week in the NFL, that's that's sort of the first segment that I wanted to start off with, with this first show. And I wanted to really focus on the Patriots. So it's been very interesting to see how everything has sort of played itself out with the Patriots signing Cam Newton, you know, after he was on the free agency market for 85 days. And me, myself, was so hard set on Jared Stidham, Jared Stidham, Jared Stidham. I want Jared Stidham to start for the Patriots. And that was just because I was so surprised and I just got so amped up because the media was pushing Stidham down so hard. No, this this kid came from Auburn. He's a third rounder. Are you kidding me? He's going to replace Tom Brady. This kid, all, all all these erratic and in my opinion, uneducated opinions about Jared Stidham when you haven't even really seen him play a football game in the NFL. I mean, yes, (laughs) he played four stats, excuse me, four snaps. And one of those snaps was a pick six. And that's what everybody is going to really grade this guy on. That's how we're going to evaluate Jared Stidham. I don't think so. I think the best way that you look and you evaluate a guy like Jared Stidham is look at his past college experience. See what he did in college because the stats don't always show the full picture. And that's the one thing that I noticed with Jared Stidham is that every time people talked about Jared Stidham, they said, well, he isn't accurate down the field. He isn't going to be able to, you know, have the confidence that Tom Brady had in back in that pocket. But Going back and focusing back on the Patriots, I'm sorry. I got on a little tangent about Jared Stidham because everybody pushes this guy down, and I don't understand. But I found it very interesting how Cam Newton got snatched up by the Patriots, and it was a just stereotypical Bill Belichick move. I mean, we saw it back in 07 with Randy Moss, and then we just saw it a a few years ago. He picked up Josh Gordon after he got released, reinstated, and nobody wanted him because of the whole weed stuff. And now we see it with a guy like Cam Newton, who everybody put this guy down. Everybody said a guy who was a 2015 MVP who brought his team to the Super Bowl. They're saying just because he had a shoulder injury and he had a hip injury and, and you know he was out for this past year, He's not the same quarterback. And I I was so surprised when a team like the Jaguars, who I just brought up before as a team who it looked like they needed a quarterback. I I mean, even though Gardner Minshew looked very good this past week, but I was surprised a team also like the Chargers didn't pick up Cam Newton, Newton, the Bears as well. Um, 
but now all these teams have all these different quarterbacks, and it, it would have been interesting to see Cam on those teams. But as a Patriots fan, I was very happily surprised that Cam Newton was signed. And especially when you have an offensive coordinator who is as smart and creative as Josh McDaniels is, he's going to find a way to get Cam Newton to be successful and also get the other weapons that the Patriots do have to be not only successful, but active on the field. And just watching this game, I thought it was very fun to see how Cam Newton performed, uh, especially against a new and improved Dolphins defense. I mean, if you looked at this game from last year, just like only evaluating the Dolphins from like what they looked like last year, you would have been like, yeah, psh, psh. <laughs> piece of cake, piece of cake. But I mean, then you remember last year the Patriots lost with Tom Brady to the Dolphins in the last week. But we're not going to talk about that because then I'm going to get all upset. Um, but more focusing on what happened in this game with the Patriots and Dolphins, Cam Newton looked very good, in my opinion. He looked very comfortable, uh, you know, in the back of the pocket. I just was a little bit iffy about how much he ran the football. I mean... When you just look at the stats, Cam Newton attempted to throw the ball 19 times. He rushed to 15. <laughs> and I understand. He broke the record for the most rushing yards in Patriots history. And he scored two rushing touchdowns. I understand. He needed to make plays happen with his legs. Maybe this is me just being nitpicky, you know, nitty-gritty, and just trying to find something wrong with his performance. And that's just the one thing that I could that, that I noticed is that anytime I saw Cam really look down the field and he uh, you can't even say he really looked down the field too much because anytime he tried to find a guy two seconds later he would just go and try and run the ball and maybe I I'm just I'm just a talking head you know I, I don't I, I don't know exactly what Cam Newton saw in the pocket maybe there was nobody open maybe the Dolphins just did an amazing job of covering absolutely everybody I don't know. But just from what I saw in the game and looking at these stats, that's the portrait that I am painting right now. But overall, I'm very excited for this next season. And to really bring up what I, I do, I do have the Instagram live up. I, I just wanted to bring that up for all the listeners who aren't able to listen on their radio. I am going to have Instagram live up for most of my radio broadcasts, uh, and I did just get a question in the chat, what will happen when he actually has to throw the football? You know, Wally, it's, it's something where I wish he threw the ball more so he could silence those critics, and so we would be able to evaluate a little bit better on what he's going to do being able to throw the ball down the field. And when you just look at it, you know, it's not like Cam Newton slung it down you know, like 15 yards down the field every single freaking play. I mean, I mean, he averaged 8.2 uh, yards per pass. And so it's something where I'm hoping next week, I'm hoping against Seattle, uh, it's it's really going to be a test for him and he's going to have to be forced to throw the football. And uh, I thought it was, I thought it was very funny how um, all the critics were saying the reason Cam Newton ran so much was because he has no weapons. Uh, I, I beg to differ on that one. I mean, everybody's just pointing out Edelman because of his age. I, I understand that. But what about the first-round pick that the Patriots got just a year ago? 
Nikhil Harry. We didn't really see anything from him. Seemed like Tom Brady pretty much ignored him all last year. And also, you got to look at as well, he was injured for a good chunk of the season. So, Jacoby Myers, Nikhil Harry, Devin Asasi, a few other guys as well, went with Cam during this past offseason and worked their butts off. And you just saw it in the videos that Cam put out on YouTube and like that sort of stuff, that they were very in sync. And, and we're, we're going to see that throughout this next season, if those how, how well those workouts helped and... You know, obviously, it's all going to determine on how well Cam can throw the ball down the field. And, you know, that that's something that, that I am hoping for. But overall, very fun offense to watch with Cam Newton under center. It's going to be very interesting how Josh McDaniels, not only Josh McDaniels, but also Bill Belichick, finds a way to utilize Cam Newton's skills to really trick teams because we know that they're very good at doing that. But, I mean, when you also just look on the other side of the football as well, the Dolphins played okay. I mean, if they had Tua Tailoa <laughs> under center, how different would it be? I honestly think, I mean, it was, it was a 10-point game. I honestly think that Tua would have made it closer. Maybe that's just me just blowing smoke because I don't 100% know because, I mean, we never saw it. I mean, we've never seen Tua suit up in a Dolphins jersey. That's just my assumption from his skill is what he was able to do in college. But overall... What I am seeing from Ryan Fitzpatrick in this past game and from these stats, Tua Tungaloa is going to be starting week two. I, I, I mean, it, 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 he has to. It's something where you can't have a guy throw three picks all the time. I mean, I, I, obviously, Fitzpatrick isn't going to go out there and throw five picks, six picks. I mean, he usually does to a certain extent. It seems like Fitzmagic usually for like the first like five games, he's rolling. And then the next five games, he, he, just, look, he just looks lost. It's, it's like he's throwing the football with his eyes closed. But, I mean, the Dolphins spent so much money, $127,000 during this past offseason. Crazy. And now you're telling me that you're just going to wait for Tua to be ready. You're going to wait for Tua just because the injuries. I, I understand. He was – Tua is their future. I understand. Tua, Tua is very fragile, and it's and it's funny to say that when the guy is only freaking 22 years old, 21. But, I mean, this is the start of the future for the Dolphins. I think you can't be wasting the years and the money that you are spending on all these big free agents that you just got with Ryan Fitzpatrick under center. I mean, you need to be trying to win these games. I mean, you got to be helping these guys be able to develop. I mean, Tua should be out there getting reps with his receivers. Obviously, he's already doing that in practice, but it's not the same exact thing as if he did it in a real football game. So that's my thoughts on just the Patriots game. It was a very interesting game to watch. Obviously, it just shows, you know, how competitive uh, this AFC East really is going to be. And, you know, we're going going to be able to see exactly um, how close these games will actually be. So let's look now at Brady. So Tom Brady, as we saw, Cam Newton has had his debut, and now we're seeing Tom Brady have his debut. And boy, did it look shaky. I, I couldn't believe it. I, I was, oh God, I mean, I almost threw up 
just just watching the game. I, I was yelling at my TV just because I was so uncomfortable seeing Tom Brady in that red jersey. I'm I'm like I'm like I, I'm still pinching myself. I cannot understand he's in Tampa Bay. All right, now we're gonna focus on the game. But this is, you just gotta have in the back of your head. This is the first time Brady has been on a different team in 20 years. What's up, Kendra? How's it going, guys? By the way, everybody who is in on IG Live, I do really appreciate you guys taking the time to listen to me right now. Right now, I'm talking about the Buccaneers and the Saints game right now and just going over what happened in week one. But just looking at Tom Brady's best buddy, Rob Gronkowski, who went with him to Tampa Bay and left the Patriots or came out of retirement, you know, said, screw you to the Patriots, went to Tampa Bay. He looked very slow. And it got to a point where when you just went on Twitter, you just saw everybody talking about, is this the next Jason Witten? <laughs> everybody was so excited that Gronk and Tom Brady are on the same team. Now they got Leonard Fournette too. And it, it was just a complete flop. I mean, when you look at Brady's stats, he, he honestly looked like he did last year with the Patriots. And when I saw the decline in, in Brady's stats last year, I just alluded, I, I just pointed right at the offensive line. Talk, pr- pr- pretty much thinking in my head, well, Brady doesn't have enough time to throw the football, so he's rushing the ball, and because he doesn't have the weapons, and most of the guys that are on his, are his re- receiving core are rookies, so they're just not making the plays. But when you just look at it, Tom Brady's just rushing the ball. It just seems like every single time Tom got back in that pocket, he just looked very tense, and he looked very uncomfortable. And that's why you saw he threw 23 for 36 and only 239 yards. And it's something where when you just look at the average yardage he had on each pass, 6.6. And so he just pretty much did the same thing that he kind of has done over these last five years when he hasn't been able to really throw the ball very far just because of his shoulder. He just gets those short passes. But as we saw... Obviously, against the Saints, those short passes did not work. And you can make the point as well that the offensive line did not show up. And that is one of the biggest reasons on why Brady did not play as well. But he only got sacked three times. And during those three sacks, it's not like those were in critical, critical, critical situations. And it's something where when you look at those interceptions too, it's, it's very unfortunate for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers fans who thought that they were going to be getting the Tom Brady in his prime. But we need to be honest, people. Tom's 43. It's not, it's not like it's 2008 right now where Tom's co- just coming back from a 19, or excuse me, an 18-1 and season. It, it, it's, just, it's just not the reality of it. And so he's going to have his mistakes. And I heard a report today on, uh, on Get Up all about how Bruce Arians put all the blame, not all the blame. I don't want to I don't want to make a, a false claim, but he pretty much he pretty much said I was surprised Tom Brady struggled. And he he just straight up called him out. And one of the analysts brought up as well that when David Johnson talked about when Bruce Arians was on the Cardinals that Bruce Arians if if a play that he called did not work, it wouldn't be on him. He would blame it on the players. The players are the reason why why his stuff isn't working. I, I don't I don't agree with that point whatsoever. And it's and it's something where you look at when Tom Brady left New England and left the Patriots because he wanted to be able to have fun in his career and not have a grumpy and very stern and strict head coach. 
seems like he got in a little bit of a worse situation than he had in New England. But let's see how it all plays out during this next season. It's something where when I'm looking at these different games, I'm doing my best to remember it's only week one and not fully evaluate how these teams and players played on on solely on what they're going to you know do over the course of the of the season because they still have 15 games to be able to figure stuff out and also you got to remember there was no preseason they only had training camp and so that is one of the biggest reasons in my opinion why we could be seeing a lot of these guys look a little bit rusty but one guy who everybody was watching on during this Bucks game not only Tom Brady Gronkowski but Leonard Fournette he just got picked up from the Buccaneers, released from the Jaguars. And it was interesting when he got released from the Jaguars because they brought up that they released him because his performance in training camp wasn't adequate to what they had seen over, obviously, the course when he was on the team. And it's interesting just to see his stats on what he was able to do in this game. Five carries in five yards. <laughs> that... That that's not an elite running back right there. That 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 is not the same Leonard Fournette that we have seen for the last three to four years. Maybe it's when they gave him the ball, the situation wise, you know, you could even bring up the the rush, um, or excuse me, the uh the offensive line issues. You could bring all that up. But I mean five carries and five yards. I mean, I, I was even just surprised as well on how um little they gave Leonard Fournette the ball. They they do have other options as well, but you know I I just I just found that very interesting. And so when you look at the Saints as well, they're another team that didn't look great, even though that they won this game, thirty six to twenty three. Which which it's, it's it's not like they dominated it, but I mean they won by almost two scores. Drew Brees didn't look himself either. Drew Brees looked a little bit shaky. He was only able to throw 160 yards. He didn't see. He seemed like a little bit rushed, like Brady, a little bit tense. I mean, I feel like this kind of happens, or at least it happened with me when I, I had my first baseball game. I mean, I'm comparing myself in, in freaking high school baseball when these guys are going out there making millions of dollars on a big stage. But I would always be kind of tense and nervous during my first game because you haven't done this in some odd months. You know what I mean? Just Just the pressure of it. And so... You got to really beg into question, what is up with Drew Brees? Why why did he look like this? I mean, when you just look at the stats, he had 11 incomplete passes. That's not that's not like a glaring issue. The glaring issue is, is the amount of yardage and the average yards as well. That's that's another thing that I looked at. I mean, 5.3 yards average average per pass. I mean, that's not something that's going to jump off the page to you and really have you be like, yeah, that was a good game right there. I mean, it just really begs into question, what is he going to be able to do next week on Monday Night Football? I mean, his best receiver, Michael Thomas, is out. So I don't know how he's going to be able to get things going, but the running game was the only thing that seemed like it could get something going. But I mean, they used five different running backs toward 182 yards. So this Saints defense, or defense, excuse me, this Saints team in general really needs to pick it up. It's something where these past two years, they've gotten so close, just right there, so close to that Super Bowl. And for somebody who's been very high on the Saints during these past two years going into these playoffs, I've always been a big believer that 
I, I thought Drew Brees over these past two years would be able to raise that Vince Lombardi trophy at least once. But, I mean, obviously we saw it with the, with the pass interference play, and then they choked this past season. But you, you just really got to keep an eye on the Saints because they're a team that a little bit disappointing. I, I got a little bit disappointed this past this past week. But what's going on in the next game? A very surprising game to where the Eagles just choked. Oh, my gosh. This was bad. This was a real bad loss for the Eagles, especially against a team like the Washington football team. Believe me. <laughs> I just got, like, that close to calling them the Redskins. That close. But the football team. Boy, with that. So who was watching this game, by the way? Just side note. I thought it was so funny. how Every single time I was watching Red Zone myself, but they were like, let's go and see what's happening with the football team. Let's see how the football team are doing. God, it was just it was just so tough to to get used to that. But the Redskins defense, boy, did they step up! Oh wow, they made Carson Wentz look very nervous throughout the entire game. He looked good for the first half. He was able to get balls in the receivers' hands. You know, he was he looked comfortable behind the pocket, but at the same time, it just seemed like Chase Young and and those guys up front. On the defense four, just were bulldozing through the Eagles' offensive line. And that's when you just look at it. I mean, even though Wentz threw 42 times, still able to complete the ball 24 times. He threw 270 yards, two touchdowns, and two interceptions. Obviously, those two interceptions are something that definitely hurt them later in the game and is, is one of the biggest reasons why the Redskins were able to capitalize off of those and be able to eventually win the game. But you just look at what the Redskins defense were able to do. I mean, I just brought that up at the same time. They they had eight sacks against Carson Wentz. And everything just fell apart for the Eagles during the second half. So it's something where you really just look at what Haskins was able to do. And I was honestly very impressed. I mean, he threw 31 times, 17 completions, threw for 178 yards, and he did have one touchdown. But, I mean, he looked very comfortable in the pocket. Threw the ball relatively well. And it's something where when you just look at his past starts, well, you know, when you looked at him at at the later part of last year, looked a little bit more comfortable. And I just thought it was going to be interesting mentally how he was going to be coming into this next season, especially with everything that went on with the – I almost said the Redskins again, but the Washington football team during this past offseason. So I do have a question in the chat right now. Unfortunately, Gary, uh, I wasn't able to catch the Rams and Cowboys game. That's that specific pass interference call. So I'm not going to be able to uh, specifically comment on that. The Cowboys and Rams game. What an interesting game. I, I was honestly very surprised that Dak Prescott uh, wasn't able to really fully step up into really what we all thought was going to be, you know, the $30, $40 million quarterback. But, I mean, I, I'm, unfortunately, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not able to answer that question. But I do love you guys using the chat on IG Live. I want to keep on being able to answer these questions and keep in, uh, be, being able to interact with you guys during this show. Uh, I'm, I'm having really fun being able to do that. So let's go next to the Cleveland Browns game. So... It looked like the same old Cleveland Browns. And I'm a guy who, even before Baker Mayfield got drafted, I was 
big on the Browns. I even remember when Deshaun Kaiser got drafted second round. I'm like, just said to my friends, I'm like, watch out. This Browns team, nuts. I said, for, I'm like, they're going to make the playoffs, you know, 9-7 and seven team. And just for people who didn't, who didn't watch that season, that, that's the season that they went 0-16. <laughs> so, boy, was I wrong. But at the same time, I thought when a team has the first and fourth pick in the draft, or I think they had three picks in the draft that they got Baker Mayfield, uh, which was 2018. So they had all those picks. And then they also had $100 million in cap space. So obviously we saw during that offseason, they got Baker Mayfield, they got Denzel Ward, they got OBJ, they got Jarvis Landry. And everybody just got so excited for the Browns. And obviously we saw last year, Boy, did they not live up to expectations. Freddie Kitchens, I said, I said his name pr- pretty much just starting to bring up how he, was, how he was partly to blame. But I don't want to put all the blame on Freddie Kitchens because you also really just got to focus on just like the whole culture of the team itself. And you, and you can say that that, that, is, that is Freddie's issue. Freddie, it's not Freddie's fault for Baker's ego. It's not Freddie's fault for for Baker's um, for Baker's lack of confidence because because you, you really saw his lack of confidence at this at the end of last year and especially going into this next season. I was very confident that Baker was going to be able to, you know, get his former self back. You know, he had all this quarantine time. He had a lot of time to really think about what happened last year, what went wrong. And how can I fix it? And I had a lot of confidence going into this past or into this next season that he was going to be able to utilize all the weapons that he does have. And it's not like they didn't just get a new coach either. Kevin Stepanski, very good head coach. And it's not like they also didn't just get a new tight end. <laughs> so now... It's it's crazy all the weapons that Baker Mayfield has. Now he has Jarvis Landry, he's Odell Beckham Jr., he has Austin Hooper, he is David David Nagot. Uh, shoot, excuse me, <laughs> the tight end uh, David Najoku. Then he also has Nick Chubb in the backfield and Kareem Hunt in the backfield. I mean, you cannot get anything better than that, in my opinion. And when you look at how Baker performed in this game. Honestly, it just looked like 2019 Baker. I wasn't very impressed. I, 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 was, I was very disappointed, honestly. And I usually try to give the quarterbacks the benefit of the doubt if they don't do well. Usually, you know, look towards the offensive line, potentially, you know, the, the defense just over-dominated. Or, I mean, you can even just also make the claim that the wide receivers just aren't making the plays. But when you look at this Browns game, they only have two sacks. Baker only got two sacks twice. And you just saw it. The defense completely fell apart. And that didn't help him either. But at the same time, when, when the offense is only able to get six, six points, six, and you have all those weapons on your team, are you kidding me? Come on. Give me a break. And so you also had Nick Chubb. 
You also had Kareem Hunt as well, combining for 132 yards. And the Browns just weren't able to get it done. You just saw Baker back in that pocket, just looking so nervous. And he just he just always just rushes those passes. And it, it just makes me put my hands to my face and just shake my head. I, I, I really I really hope he figures it out sometime this season. I really hope Baker Mayfield is really able to show not only the whole NFL, but the whole sports world that he is who the Browns drafted when he was back in Oklahoma because, boy, was he a workhorse. workhorse excuse me. Boy, anytime he walked out on that field, you knew Baker Mayfield was here to freaking play. And you even saw it during his first season with the Browns. He had that swagger. I'm feeling dangerous. And now you just see him on the progressive commercials and you just see him moping around the sideline just, oh, my team sucks. No, <laughs> you got you got one of the most you got one of the most decorated and talented teams in the NFL, and you are in in maybe it's just the coaching, but I mean, and may, maybe I'm just being too harsh on Baker after after just week one. I think that's what it is. It's just it's just because I have I have a lot of I have a lot of stock invested in him, just in the sense of I'm I, I've. I've been vouching for Baker Mayfield ever since he got ever since he got drafted, saying this guy's going to be a superstar, and it just has not worked out in my favor. But you just look on the other side of the football as well. Lamar Jackson continued his dominance and looked like an MVP candidate once again. When you really just look at it, Lamar Jackson he only had five incompletions. Five incompletions? Come on! And it's and you just also saw as well a future superstar. Marquise Brown, show up. Boy, did he show up. And he had 101 yards with five receptions. I mean, when you only have five receptions and you are able to get 101 yards as well, you got some legs. You got some talent as well as a wide receiver. And so he had a long of 47 yards, so that's probably where a lot of the 101 yards came from. But just looking back at what I was talking about with Cam Newton, running a little bit too much. And people making the claim that he had to, Cam Newton had to run that that much to be able to make plays for the Patriots. Well, Lamar Jackson threw 25 times, and he only rushed the ball seven. And the Baltimore Ravens scored 38 points. I'm not over here comparing Lamar Jackson whatsoever to Cam Newton, just just of how they play the game. I'm just looking at two guys that are scrambling quarterbacks and comparing how they went about the game. Lamar Jackson only rushed seven times and was able to rush 45 yards. You don't really see that too much, honestly. Most of the time you think of Lamar Jackson just looking down the field for two seconds and then just running. But, I mean, that's what we saw Cam Cam Newton do this past year. Or, excuse me, this past week. But just very interesting and very disappointed on how the Browns performed this past this past week, and something where they really got to step it up, or I, I I don't know what else they got to do. I mean, they, they fired the coach, they fired the GM every other year, anyways. It's it's something where I've followed this team so hard and had so much confidence in these Cleveland Browns that they're going to actually do something. That for one year, one year the Browns aren't going to screw up and be the most unlucky team in the NFL. I mean, you could also make the claim for the Lions as well. But at the same time, 
they need to find some way, shape, or form to get a winning culture in there and find a way to utilize this talent that they have. Because, boy, do they have a lot of it, and they are wasting all these guys' years of their talent in their prime seasons. So let's get next to the Jacksonville Jaguars, a team who shocked the NFL, shocked the sports world. Everybody had this team losing 16 games out of the 16 games and being the number one pick in the NFL draft. And Gardner Minshew went out there slinging and won the game for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Gardner Minshew looked very good out there. I mean, he only threw around 170 yards. I get it. I get it. He did not throw the amount of, you know, yards that most guys, when they look at stats, they're like, oh, yeah, he threw 300 yards. That was a good game. But at the same time, he was 19 for 20 throughout the entire game. They didn't have Leonard Fournette. I mean, when you look at this Jaguars offense, who does Minshew have? Who does he have? Nobody. Nobody. And so without Leonard Fournette, the Jaguars were still able to rush 91 yards. That's very impressive in my opinion. And it's something where you just look at this Colts defense and you're like, wait, wait. So so you you just let up 27 points to what was considered one of the worst offenses in the NFL. And it's not like the Colts don't have a lot of money invested in this defense. And just in this team in general. And I, I had a lot more high hopes for this Colts team during this season. And it's something where I just looked at this game and I was very disappointed. But it was very weird. How weird was it to see all these different quarterbacks in it, on all these different teams? I mean, I talked about it earlier in the show about Tom Brady wearing the red and how disgusting it looked. But at the same time, Cam Newton in the Patriots jersey, boy, was that weird. But even weirder. Philip Rivers in a Colts jersey. I mean, you usually saw... I mean, he was already in light blue anyways with, with the Chargers, but at the same time, it was just weird seeing him in a Colts jersey. And it's something where when you look at his performance as well, I honestly believe he threw the ball too much. That's usually what Philip Rivers does when, he, when, he's a part of a, when he's a part of a team. He usually throws, you know, 30 or 40 times a game. I mean, he threw 46. And when you just look at what he was able to do, yeah, he was able to complete the 36 out of the 46 passes that he did throw. And he threw for 363 yards. But I mean, those two picks. Those two picks are one of the biggest reasons why the Colts lost this game. But he did look good. I, I do got to give it to him. He looked, he looked well in the pocket, and that's one of the biggest reasons why he did only uh, incomplete 10 passes. But at the same time, I'm usually not a, not a huge fan of quarterbacks throwing the ball that much, especially when you have all these different weapons uh, in the backfield. I mean, when you really look at it, they have they have Jonathan Taylor, they have Hines, they have Mack, even though Mack got injured at the start of this game. But at the same time, it seemed like Phillip looked a little bit rushed, and that's one of the biggest reasons why he tried to force some of those balls. But it'll be interesting to see what the Colts are going to be able to do next week. But, I mean, what a devastating loss to this Jaguars team. And as a Colts fan and just as as uh, as as a franchise for the Colts, they really need to evaluate their defense. And uh, it's, it's, just, it's just an embarrassment. But, I mean, 
you do also got to give the benefit of the doubt to the Jaguars for being able to really step up, get that first win, flip everybody off in the Super Bowl. And, you know, probably a lot of people lost some money who bet that the Jaguars were going to go 0-16. So they're probably pretty happy about that. At least, at least the Jaguars are themselves. But going on to the game where everybody could not believe that this team choked <laughs> more than any any team in my opinion this week you could you you could even say all last year the lions wow it was devastating looking and seeing the reactions of some of the fans lions fans watching the end of this game i mean i, I think i saw one on barstool where, where this guy saw the touchdown or what was supposed to be the touchdown. He's like, yeah, let's go. Lions won. And then, and then his friend goes, no, no, he dropped it. And, and the guy just looks devastated. He just, he just realized that the same thing that has happened for his team over the last 20-some-odd years of bad luck has happened once again. But when you look at not only what happened with the Lions – on the other side of the football, Mitchell Drabisky honestly came out to play. Specifically in the second half, specifically in the second half, I would say, in the first half, he looked a little bit iffy. But at the same time, Mitchell Trubisky really did a good job of being accurate with the football, in my opinion. It was something where he had so many issues last year uh, with being inaccurate with the football and that honestly really hindered uh, his performance and you know the confidence also that the Bears did have in him but when you really looked at what Trubisky was able to do over this course of this game I was honestly very impressed and I thought it was also very cool that Trubisky ran it a little bit because the Bears didn't really utilize Trubisky's running abilities really at all last year and the year before 2018, he was running all over the place. I mean, I, I myself was comparing him to mini Ben Roethlisberger. It just seemed like Mitchell Drabisky of 2018 when, when the Bears were able to make the playoffs. When he didn't find somebody open, he was obviously able to do the stereotypical run out of the backfield, look for, look for a player. And he was also able to throw it throw across his body very well. We saw him do that a few times during this past week. He did a really good job of being able to escape the pocket, make plays himself, and we saw him do that a little bit this past game. He carried the ball three times, ran 26 yards. One of them even went for 20 yards, which was his longest rush. But when you just look at what he was able to do throwing the football, threw three touchdowns. When did you see Mitchell Trubisky throw three touchdowns last year? I don't think that there was one game where he did, honestly. So he completed 20 passes out of his 36 attempted passes, and he threw for 242 yards. And he actually only only got sacked once. But I was relatively very impressed with this Bears team, and it sort of all just came down to, obviously, they only won this game because the Lions won it for him. I mean, I don't know really how you drop such an easy pass in the end zone and, and and you can still sleep at night. I, I mean, I, I honestly feel really bad for that guy. I bet that play has been circling around in his head 
ever since it happened on Sunday, and he's been hearing about it on Twitter. Friends have been texting him like that sort of stuff. It's 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 not something that you really want to live with, and and really be able to think about. Hopefully, I really hope that the Lions are able to bounce back next week. Have that confidence. Use this loss as a way to motivate yourself. But when you really just look at a guy who really performed for this Lions team is Adrian Peterson. 14 carries, 93 yards. I mean, it just shows you right there why Adrian Peterson is a Hall of Famer. And it shows right there that he is zero rust. Adrian Peterson is still able to run like he was out there, like he was like he was 25 years old. And it's very impressive. It's very cool that he's been bouncing around these different teams and still able to be very successful on each franchise that he goes to. I'm very happy for him. So let's go to the last game that I wanted to cover for my NFL preview. And this is the Joe Burrow versus the Chargers game. And so really just looking at what Joe Burrow was able to do for the Bengals. For his first start, I was very impressed. But I did find it very funny during the entire broadcast of this Chargers and Bengals game. Wow. Did these announcers, they, they were like jacking off freaking Burrow. They love Joe Burrow. They're, 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 every single time they came back, from a commercial break, oh, Joe Burrow is the greatest quarterback to ever step foot on a football field. This kid's going to be a Hall of Famer. You don't know like what he can do. This is the next Tom Brady. We're going to be seeing him putting up Lombardi trophies left and right. All right, listen, this is his first start in the freaking league. Who knows? Who knows what can happen? He's saying this, this guy's going to be able to do all this extravagant stuff. What if he just got bulldozed and torn ACL and was out? Was out just like that. Easily could happen. You can never predict what a guy is going to do over the course of his career during his first start. You at least got to see five games, even a full season under his belt, to truly be able to evaluate how you you can predict on how how his career is going to go because you you could even make the same claim about Mitchell Trubisky. I thought that Mitchell Trubisky was going to be a top five quarterback, especially after that 2018 team. He's going to be a top five quarterback going for the next few years, and it's something where I, I I was I was very obviously disappointed on how he on how his last few seasons went. Obviously, we're seeing him be able to get back to his reassurance. But that's just a good example of not being able to accurately evaluate a player after just one season or even just one game. But Burrow looked a little bit nervous in the pocket at times. In my opinion, that a little bit uh, was due to the pressure um, that he got. But the running game was a really big part of the offense. And when you look at what this running game was able to do, Joe Mixon, what a guy. Joe Mixon looked real good. And also, when you look at it as well, one of the main guys that that came back for the Bengals is going to be a huge part of this team and their success, not only down the line, but for the development of for the development of Joe Burrow is AJ Green. And AJ Green came back stronger than ever. 
not maybe than ever, but at the same time, he looked real good. But just going back to what I brought up with, with the running game, Mixon carried the ball 19 times for 69 yards. And when you also look at it as well, Burrow did a real good job of rushing the football as well. 18, eight, excuse me, eight carries with 46 yards. But when you look at this Bengals offense, even though Burrow was only able to throw the ball 190 yards, this offense is scary. And something where at the start of the season, I kind of had a thought that it's going to be a real good offense. When you got when you got Mixon, you got Bernard in the running game, and then also in the receiving game, you also have A.J. Green, you have Tyler Boyd, you have Joe Ross, and that's just a start. And then you also have the number one pick under center. There's a lot of possibilities for some really, really good stats to come out of this season. And also down the line, who knows. But also just looking as well towards the Chargers, I was very disappointed, honestly, with how Tyrod performed. When you really looked at what Tyrod was able to do uh, over the course of this game, he just looked very uncomfortable in the pocket. He looked like he rushed his throws a lot. He held the ball a little bit too much. And when when he just decided to finally throw the football, it was too late. You know, the guy would either drop it. You know, the coverage would be too hard. And he just wasn't able to find a way to throw the ball fully down the field to be able to get things rolling for the Chargers. And that's one of the biggest reasons why they only scored 16 points over the course of this game. But the running game, boy, was the running game rolling. They were able to amass 144 yards, uh, and that was over four different rushers. But Austin Eckler came out to play. 19 carries, 84 yards, and it seems like the Chargers don't miss Melvin Gordon whatsoever, but we just saw it for Burrow. That all fell apart uh, when, the, when the kicker came up to kick the game-winning field goal. But you really got to give Burrow props. He was able to get down that football field in those last few minutes during the last drive for the Bengals. He honestly reminded me of Mahomes during the 2018 AFC Championship against the Patriots. I mean, he looked like a superstar. I mean, it it just really showed to you why this guy was drafted number one. But this NFL week one was very exciting. It was something that where it was very fun to be able to see all these different guys in these new jerseys. You know, like I said at the start of the show when I started explaining the football, the 2020 football season, it's very competitive. And so it's going to be a very exciting season. I'm very excited to see it, how it all plays out. But I'm just going to take a break real quick as we wrap up the NFL preview. And I'm going to come back with a look at the Clippers and Nuggets game for tonight. And then also looking towards what could be happening during next week for the NFL season. So I really appreciate everybody tuning in to 91.7 WPCR in Plymouth. And I'll be right back. Let's talk about the Clippers and Nuggets for tonight. So it's game seven NBA semifinals. I'm pretty sure, yeah, it's going to the Western Conference Finals and the Eastern Conference Finals. But we already have the Celtics in the Heat. Those that's the matchup for the Eastern Conference Finals. And then over on the Western side, the Lakers have already made it to the Western Conference Finals and now they're just waiting to hear who their opponent is and 
that will come out of this Clippers and Nuggets game. So when you really look at going into this game, the pressure that not only Paul George has, Kawhi Leonard has, but just the whole Clippers organization in general. They were up on this Nuggets team 3-1. to one. And this is a team who got two of the biggest names in the NBA this past offseason. And like I said, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. But there's a lot of expectations for this Clippers team to not only make a run to the Western Conference Finals and make it to the Western Conference Finals, but get to the NBA Finals and win it. You could also say the same thing about the Lakers as well because of the passing of Kobe. There's a lot of pressure for the Lakers to win this NBA Finals for Kobe in remembrance of him. But when you look at the numbers, the Lakers versus the Clippers, they are 2-2 two and two on the season. Versus the Nuggets, they're 3-1 and one on the season. In my opinion, obviously a much more competitive matchup and a much more exciting matchup to watch just from the players who are going to be playing against each other, is the Lakers and the Clippers. And that also just has the component as well of them both being in L.A. and just the whole rivalry between the two teams. But when you look at what the Nuggets would be able to do against this Lakers team, you would just have to look back at this Nuggets run, in my opinion, as as one of the most impressive ones playoff runs that I've seen in the past five, ten years or so. I mean, this team was down 3-0. Or it was either 3-0, 3-1 against the Utah Jazz. Then fought all their way back to be able to get to a game seven. And now, the same thing happened, very similar, with the Clippers. And the Nuggets were able to find a way to pry themselves back and force a Game 7. Very impressive performance by both Jokic and Murray over these past few games. They have been going off. But it's going to be really interesting to see how this Clippers team is going to be able to perform under pressure, if they're going to be able to meet the expectations that people do have on them, and what team is going to be able to come out on top. Now, there's been a lot of talk about whoever comes out of the West from this Western Conference Finals and goes to the Finals is eventually going to win the NBA Finals just in terms of the matchups. Not a lot of people have a ton of high hopes on the Heat being able to compete against whatever Western team comes out of the West and be able to make a run for that NBA Finals trophy. But they're also a team who has only won, who has only lost one game so far over this playoffs. So you know it's going to be really interesting. Obviously, once it got, does get down to the Eastern Conference Finals and the Western Conference Finals, to kind of make speculations on who could win this twenty twenty NBA Finals. And boy, has it been a weird season. It, it really is interesting. Uh, I want. I'd. I'd be. In, I'd be curious to hear your guys' thoughts on what you guys have thought about the bubble. If you have liked it, I think it's been really interesting how much more intimate the game is. I think it's really cool how they've been able to utilize the technology of of the fan board 
and really be able to give fans an opportunity to still be able to engage in the game and be able to cheer on their team and also be able to also have a chance to be on TV. I, I think that I think that's a really cool component of it. And, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see how just the home field advantage component in the NBA Finals, how that's going to affect just, just the Finals as well. Uh, we have been able to see it kind of... Uh, make a difference in the in these NBA playoffs. It, it would be interesting to see, uh, you know, if there was fans in one scenario, and if there wasn't fans in another scenario, and and sort of compare them on on how these teams would do. Um, I don't know how comparable they re- they really would be. I don't, I don't know how big of a change it would be. But at the same time, in really any sport, doesn't matter what it is, when there's fans and somebody has a home field advantage. There's always a little bit more of an advantage for the home team. You know, you you, you just got you just got the passion, you just, you just got the motivation from the fans and the pressure from the city and just everything that's all wrapped around having home field advantage. And I think it's really going to depend on really in these playoffs who's who's just the straight out better team. You know what I mean? You you see a lot of times when teams do have the crowd be able to motivate them and and they do have that home field advantage that a lot of these teams uh who if 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 they didn't have that support from their fanship if they would be able to play or perform as well uh as as they were able to uh just depending on the talent and and how each of these teams match or how each of those teams match up but you know really be interesting to see what will happen in this Clippers Nuggets game, unfortunately, I'm not as decorated uh, and, and um, educated on the NBA as I am with the NFL and the MLB. Most of the time, I have one of my friends here to be able to give a little bit better uh, insight on these NBA games and just everything that's happening around the league. But I try to do my best to stay as as uh, up-to-date as possible. It's just I don't know the specific players and uh, really the game of basketball as well as I do both football and baseball. But in these last 15 minutes of this show, I want to go over what we're going to be looking at uh, during this next week in the NFL. So let's look at it first with Thursday night, Bengals and Browns. I, I I was I was going to overview each of these teams and really and really give my opinion on each of them. But I think I'm gonna do that and then I'm also going to predict on who will win each of these games. See how it turns out. We'll see we'll see if I'm right on any of them. But like I said, just to start off, Bengals and Browns. I'm gonna be honest with you. I could honestly see how bad the Browns defense looked during this last week against the Ravens, I could honestly see Joe Burrow outplaying Baker Mayfield and finding a way to uh, lead this Bengals team to a win against the Browns. Uh, and I, I honestly think that's going to be the big kicker for this Browns team. I, I think it's really going to determine on the expectations people do have for this team. Uh, you know, when you just look at a team like the Bengals, they they drafted number one last year. They were the worst team in the league. And with all the talent, like I've talked about in this show, that the Browns do have, it's going to be very disappointing if they do, uh, you know, re- record their second loss of the season, especially against a team like the Bengals. But you cannot say that the Bengals don't have 
a good amount of talent as well, especially with Joe Burrow under center and with how good he played last week. Next, let's look at the New England Patriots. They are going against the Seattle Seahawks. And if I'm being honest with you, this this is going to be a very, very, very close game. Very close game. Or you could just see the... I, I honestly couldn't see the Patriots dominating against the Seahawks. Just just from how good Russell Wilson looked last week and how well he was able to throw that football, you, you just really cannot make the claim that he's not going to be able to replicate that. So in my opinion, even though I'm a big Patriots fan, I, I see this this is when they record their first loss. I, I think I think this is going to be the real test for Cam Newton especially with how difficult of a defense the Seahawks do have. I think it's going to really show how this Patriots defense is is really going to play out. And, uh, you know, I, like I said, it's going to be a big test for them. And um, I, I honestly see Russell Wilson outplaying Cam Newton. So next, Bears-Giants. So we saw the Bears came very close to losing against the Lions. And the Giants... I don't want to say they got killed, but they did not look too, too great against the Steelers. But I got, I got to give credit where credit's due. Daniel Jones looked very good last night. Looked very comfortable in the pocket. Ran the ball well. Obviously, we saw the offensive line didn't help him too much. And that has been one of the biggest issues, even with back with Eli, is the Giants' offensive line not being able to help the quarterback and protect him and that is one of the biggest reasons why they've had some of their biggest struggles on the offense over these last few years. But I could honestly see the Bears coming out with this win. I just don't see the Giants being able to not only overcome the Bears' defense, but at the same time, if Mitchell Trubisky is able to sling that football like he did in the second half against the Lions, I could see him having a repeat dominant performance. So I'm going to say that the Bears are going to win that game. Next one. Falcons and Cowboys. So, it's very surprised how bad the Cowboys actually did during this past week. And I think that that is going to really hurt them during this next week against the Falcons. I could honestly see with how efficient Matt Ryan was throwing the football to Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley last week. I could see the Falcons coming out with a win against the Cowboys during week two. Next, Lions and Packers. So we saw the Lions looked good for the first half of their game in week one, but eventually just lost the game. Just flat out lost it. And Aaron Rodgers had one of the best games, in my opinion, that I've seen him have maybe since last year when he threw five touchdowns. But when you really just look at this Packers team, I just think that that they're too dominant uh to be able to not lose this game against the Lions. So I'm saying Packers. Next one is the Titans and the Jaguars. So I'm gonna say I'm gonna say the Titans are going to win this one. They looked really good this past week on Monday Night Football. Even though the Jaguars were able to record that first win and really be able to surprise everybody in the NFL. I don't see them being able to repeat that. And with the amount of yards Minshew was able to record, even though he threw the ball 19 for 20, he threw the ball very well, even though it's just, it's that 173 yards just really makes me nervous on how 
he's going to be able to record the amount of points to be able to, you know, compete against whatever the, de- the his defense lets up. I just don't see him being able to operate that offense in the level that he's going to need to to be able to overcome the Titans and the dominant team that they do have. Next week, or excuse me, next week, next team, Vikings and Colts. So this one's a little bit tough for me. Um, how bad the Colts defense looked last week against the Jaguars. I could see the Colts getting their second loss here. And if Phillip Rivers really doesn't step up and, you know, race those costly turnovers that he did have against the Jaguars, you know, it's, it's just going to be another disappointing week for the Colts. The Vikings looked good this past week. Even though they, got, they, they recorded their first loss, Kirk Cousins looked to be throwing the ball very well. That defense also looked good as well. So I'm going to pick the Vikings in this one. Next is the Bills and the Dolphins. So I think that ultimately the Bills are going to win this game just because of the amount of talent that they do have on their team. Their defense is top three in the league, top five. Josh Allen looked really good last week, even though they made a few mistakes, you know, running the football, letting up like costly turnovers as well. But that Bills offense and just team in general is just too stacked, in my opinion, uh, to not win this game but you also got to look at the other side with the Dolphins as well it all depends on if they start Tua or not I'm not saying that if the if the Dolphins start Tua that they're 100% going to win this game I'm just saying it gives them a much better chance I'm just saying that when it gets down to the fourth quarter put the ball into his hand I have a lot more confidence that he's going to be able to find a way to score points and get closer to potentially winning this game, depending on the score, obviously, than Ryan Fitzpatrick. That's just my opinion. So next, 49ers and Jets. Easy one. This is, this is going to be a 49ers ball game the entire game. I don't see the Jets making this game very competitive. Just from how disappointing the Jets looked during this past week, it's just something where I don't really see them being able to step up, especially against the dominant 49ers defense. Next is the Rams and the Eagles. So, the Eagles had a very disappointing loss this past week against the Washington football team. It's crazy the amount of times I've almost said Redskins. But, especially with a team like the Eagles, who really fell apart in the fourth quarter, it's really tough for me to be able to fully point to them as a team that's going to win this game. Especially with how good the Rams did look this past week, I, I I just really don't see the Eagles being able to uh, o- o- overcome that devastating loss and, and and be able to you know muster the confidence to be able to be better than that Rams team. I just don't see it. So next, let's look on to the Broncos and the Steelers. So the Broncos looked well yesterday. You know, Drew Locked looked looked like. A, a very good second-year player. And it's one of the biggest reasons why he has a lot of praise going into this next season. So even though the Steelers did win that game against the Giants sort of dominantly, they didn't really come out to play that well. You know, obviously Big Ben was just coming back. I mean, he threw two, 235 yards. I'm not talking about that whatsoever. It's just the offense didn't really look like it was in sync. 
that was probably just from my evaluation it was just from the first half on or no not the first half on just the first half in general they they just really looked like they were rushing the football it, they looked very unorganized it was just something where probably ben was just dusting off the rust just trying to find the best way uh to be able to get back into his own and into into what he's used to doing but i i can still see the steelers being able to win this game next the buccaneers and the panthers this one's tough you know because because the panthers did come out to play last week the buccaneers really looked bad (laughs) they looked really bad but i think that that you know i the reason I'm having such a hard time with this is because I don't know the best way to evaluate Brady on the Broncos. Or Broncos, excuse me, Buccaneers. He's only played one one game with them. I'm so used to, I'm just so used to evalu- evaluating Brady just off of how he has been able to perform with the Patriots. But this is just a whole different ball game. I I'm going to go with the Panthers on this one. Honestly, the Panthers looked very good last week. They looked like they came out to play. Both sides of the ball looked good. And, you know, I think it's just going to take one more week for Brady to be able to get used to this offense, for Brady to be able to, you know, finally be able to live up to the expectations that so many people have put on him in Tampa Bay, even though he is 43 years old. And he's not going to be playing like he's freaking 25. But I still see the Panthers winning this game. So we got four more games that I'm going to predict on. So we got Washington and the Cardinals. So even though Washington uh, a very surprising win last week, I see the Cardinals winning this game. Chiefs Chargers, Chiefs are winning this game very comfortably. The Chargers just did not look like a good team this past week. You know, Tyrod didn't seem like the right guy under center. Like I talked about in my evaluation of just the game itself, he seemed like he held on to the ball too much. He seemed like he, he was very rushed in the pocket and just did not feel comfortable so i think that obviously with how dominant patrick mahomes is and the chiefs team in general the defending super bowl champions are going to win this game against the chargers comfortably next is the ravens and the texans this one's gonna be tough this one's gonna be real tough you know we got two really good quarterbacks in lamar jackson sean watson you know, the Texans team looked pretty iffy last week against the Chiefs, even though it was the first game uh, in the entire NFL season. I'm going to go to the Ravens because Lamar came out to play, and he looked just like his MVP self during last week. So I, I think that this is going to be a good game to watch, close game, but I see the Ravens ultimately winning. And then Saints and Raiders, I don't know, man. I, I'm going to go Raiders. That is going to be my dark horse pick is the Las Vegas Raiders because Derek Carr looked very good last week. Uh, they scored a lot of points, and it's something where when you look at how Drew Brees performed and how disappointing he did perform, it's just something where you really just got to think about how he's going to be able to perform against that Raiders defense, even though it's not something scary and it's it's like top 10, top 15 in the league. But at the same time, you really got a question. Is Drew Brees going to be able to step up to be able to win this game for the Saints? But 
As excited as I am for the NFL Week 2, I hope everybody did enjoy this episode of Iggy's Sports Talk. And I hope everybody is excited for this next year of the shows that I have planned here on Iggy's Sports Talk radio show. And it's going to be really fun. I really appreciate everybody that did tune into this broadcast. I'm going to be putting it on Apple Music and Spotify. So if you're listening to that right now, please subscribe. I really do appreciate it. I'm going to be posting these every single week. And look forward to my discussion questions, or or excuse me, look forward to me doing call-ins, me having special guests on, me having, uh, you know, just these interesting discussions on IG Live. I love all the interaction, and that's one of the biggest reasons why I love talking about sports. So I hope everybody has a great great rest of their week. And everybody had a good time tuning in to 91.7 WPCR Plymouth. I will see you guys next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.